Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, I'm Grant Wall, and welcome to the Planet Football Podcast. This is our Women's World Cup podcast with me and Sports Illustrated's Lakin Littman. We're publishing podcast episodes after every U.S. game during the tournament, and this is a special preview podcast ahead of Sunday's World Cup final against the Netherlands. While we've got you, make sure to check out our podcast series, Throwback, on the origin stories of the U.S. Women's National Team and the FIFA Women's World Cup. That is throwback. Promise you won't regret it. Onward! Let's bring in Lakin Littman from San Francisco, uh, where she is for the 4th of July holiday. Lakin, how are you? I'm good, Grant. How are you? I am good. Uh, We are in the last days of the Women's World Cup. The U.S. is in the final for the third straight time. And we're going to do a preview podcast of USA Netherlands uh, the first preview podcast of our tournament uh, due largely to Dan Wetzel lobbying for one on Twitter. Yeah, shout out. Shout out to Dan. <laughs> yeah, good stuff, Dan, the the terrific Yahoo Sports columnist uh, who's also here doing good stuff. But um, we're going to look at this final and talk about the stuff that's happening on the field, uh, some of the stuff that's happening off the field. And... How surprised are we that it's the Netherlands? Honestly, well, I we, I was expecting Germany. <laughs> yeah. But that wasn't even, you know, as far as the Netherlands concerned. I mean, they weren't the ones who beat Germany. Um, but, you know, I'm excited because this is kind of a different matchup. It's someone fresh and new. It's only their second World Cup ever. So it's just kind of cool to have a, a new face in there against the U.S. And um, yesterday on the broadcast, they called the Netherlands USA light. <laughs> so <laughs> we'll see if um, if that is accurate on on Sunday. Yeah, I, I, I think there is something to that. Uh, both teams play a 4-3-3 formation. Um, I still think the Netherlands hasn't been quite as entertaining heading in or in this World Cup as I expected they would. They've been more effective than entertaining. Uh, but there is a lot of firepower on this Dutch team. I think it would be very interesting if the Netherlands 
won a women's world cup before they won a men's world cup since this is only their second women's world cup but they've got a tremendous amount of crowd support uh we've noticed that the entire tournament and they've got a good team uh, i still think that this netherlands team is not as good as the england or french team that the u.s already beat true or false oh no i totally agree with that okay. i mean when we're talking about you know matchups i feel like the U.S. has to be feel pretty good considering they were able to lock down some of the best players in the world, you know, when they were playing France and England. And obviously the Netherlands has a very impressive attack that's fun to watch. But some of those stars, um, you know, haven't been maybe as powerful as we expected them to be. And I feel like the U.S., it's like, well, if I was able to handle Diani or Ellen White, I can I can handle this. I do think overconfidence is a, a concern here for the U.S. Um, mm -hmm. you, you don't want to see a repeat. I would have said something similar about Japan heading into the 2011 final, as I'm probably going to say here about the Netherlands. And that certainly ended up with an unexpected result of Japan uh, winning that game against the U.S. Um, first off, before we move any further here, let's talk about Megan Rapinoe and Rose Lavelle. Here we have two hamstring injury concerns. Rapino didn't play at all in the last game. Lavelle came off uh, in the second half after being terrific uh, in the, uh, the semifinal. Uh, do we think that Rapino and Lavelle will start this game? Yeah, I mean, I'll start with Rapino. I don't think that she is going to miss a World Cup final, no matter how her hamstring feels. It's, I mean, it's the last game. So, you know, if, if, if you aren't feeling um, a certain, you aren't feeling, you know, 100%, well, then she's probably of the mind, I will deal with it afterwards. And it's hard because obviously Kristen Press started for Rapino in the semifinal. And it's such a tough decision because I've always thought Press should be a starter, but it's like, who do you take out in favor of her? And she played so well against England. And, um, but I just don't think that, you know, if Rapino feels good, you can't keep her out of the starting lineup in a World Cup final. Um, as far as Rose Lavelle goes, I mean, we don't, I don't, we don't know the severity of her, of her injury, but you know, you would think that potentially Maybe Jill Ellis decides to go with Mewis over Lavelle and keeping Haran and Juliet in the midfield. That's obviously an option. Or maybe maybe Lavelle's fine and she gets her starting job back. For what it's worth, both Rapino and Lavelle have said here that they will be ready to go on Sunday, but players always say they're ready to go. And so the question is, what do the U.S. doctors think? What does Jill Ellis think? And we're not going to hear from Jill Ellis on this topic until uh, the game itself. So I do wonder, you know, Lavelle's had a history of hamstring trouble. Um, mm -hmm. I do wonder if Ellis might split the difference, like you're saying, and, and not start both of them and, and risk having to, to use a sub early um, yeah. in, a, in a final, which you don't want to do, obviously. But we also just don't know the extent of their situations. What I will say is we just found out that Megan Rapino will be the U.S. player in the uh, press conference the day before the game. And, you know, they'll, they'll say not to take anything out of that, but that's usually a sign that that player is expected to play in the game. For um, sure. So uh, in terms of matchups here, um, 
before we get into individual matchups in this game, just in general terms uh, with the overall matchup, what are you seeing? Yeah, I mean, as I kind of alluded to before, I mean, the Netherlands does have a strong attack with um, Martins and Medima. And I mean, you know, and Van de Sanden hasn't been her best in this World Cup. And I think she's on Crystal Dunn's side and she's had her hands full all World Cup. And I feel like this will be maybe almost a relief. Um, you know, she she's will win those one-on-one battles. And I don't think that this... Um, this this attack is as ruthless and lethal as the ones that the U.S. face. I mean, they have Vondadonk too, which I think we'll talk about later in individual matchups. But um, defensively, I mean, they've only given up three goals, but they haven't really played an attack this you know as powerful as the U.S. Given their path to the World Cup wasn't maybe as daunting as the U.S. Um, had going through New Zealand, Cameroon, Canada, Japan. Italy and Sweden. So um, I would expect that the U.S. attack would handle that defense and score um, score a bunch of goals. Yeah, I, I, I don't think this is as stiff a test as the last two games uh, on paper have been for the U.S. Um, and I think with set pieces, that's how Netherlands has scored a lot of their goals in this tournament. Mm-hmm. And so you do want to avoid, uh, if you're the U.S., giving set piece opportunities near the goal uh, to the Dutch because... Uh, that's a way of making up for not uh, being better in open play, and they're very good at it. Miedema is just, like, gigantic, <laughs> actually. And she has this real knack for getting her head on on uh, free kicks in the box and, and finding ways to score. So um, uh, I think that's going to be a challenge. Um, you know, I, I just look at the way the Dutch play in general and the way the U.S. plays, and... Uh, I'd like to see an open game, though, as I was saying earlier, I, I don't think the Dutch have been as open as we maybe expected heading into the tournament. Um, but uh, in terms of specific matchups, what stands out to you as a, as a player matchup you're excited to see? Yeah, so I'm really excited to see Julie Ertz versus Danielle Vondedonk because mm-hmm. anybody who watched Sweden-Netherlands, uh, the semifinal, um, got pretty familiar with her with Vondedonk's name because she was all over the field set up the winning the winning goal in extra time and I mean Julie Ertz obviously everybody knows how impactful and important she is to the U.S. team and she was you know the standout young star uh, four years ago in 2015 but this World Cup she's kind of been like more behind the scenes I feel like we haven't heard her name as much even though she's been as important as ever and she'll be matched up against Vondedonk who is dangerous and creates a lot of scoring chances and Vondedonk is also I guess we've learned maybe a little bit outspoken and (laughs) feeling pretty confident heading into this final which is obviously always fun to have players do that you know heading into a matchup of this magnitude um after after uh the Netherlands beat Sweden she said that they're relishing you know the underdog role and that Alex Morgan isn't going to score on them (laughs) and you know it's like all that stuff it's like good material (laughs) leading up leading up to a World Cup final so um but yeah I would say Julie Ertz and and Vondedonk yeah I I thought it was funny that uh, Vondedonk said that uh, she thought the U.S. would underestimate them um (laughs) if you look at uh, Paul Carr the great soccer statistician uh posted uh something on Twitter uh, about Julie Ertz's performance in the semifinal. And basically it showed 
every angle and touch, and you could see that in the area of the field where Juliertz plays uh, in the defensive midfield, much you know many fewer touches for the English, which really gave you an mm-hmm. idea of how much Ertz dominated uh, the defensive midfield in that game. And so I am looking forward to that matchup. I'm also looking forward uh, higher up the field for the Dutch to Miedema versus the U.S. center backs, uh, Becky Sauerbrunn and Abby Dahlkemper, because we did see Ellen White from England have some success uh, splitting the U.S. center backs. Uh, it's how she scored her goal uh, against the U.S. Uh, it's also a little bit of why Jill Ellis the last two games has moved Ertz back farther and in, in between Sauerbrunn and Dahlkemper to go to a, a five-man back line, both against France uh, and against England. And if Miedema can cause problems uh, you know, for the U.S. center backs, I think that would cause Ertz, consciously or unconsciously, to have to move back and maybe even you know, go into that five back, which I actually am not a huge fan of. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm not either. <laughs> um, this whole, like, I, I, my sense is um, that the U.S. is going into the prevent defense too quickly, too soon in these games, even with a lead. I, is that your feeling? Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. They've done this the last two games, right? right. Unless I'm forgetting. Yeah, I mean, I guess, like, what? They're trying to just, like, preserve their lead and just play it safer rather than just like attack 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 it's like i i feel like heading into this game specifically it's not i mean not no disrespect to the netherlands they're not but they're not it's not facing like a top five team as they as the u.s has in england and france and it's like if you are if you know that you are better and you can just beat them up rather i mean you know, it's like you got to be on the attack. Like, you know, it's like I was thinking of a of a comparison. It's like Oklahoma and Alabama's offenses. It's like you need to like have your like that. You need you want to feel the wrath of the attack rather than just like oh, let's just put you know five back. Yeah, I I would like I would prefer to see the U.S. if they go up a goal and they've been amazing in this whole tournament with scoring goals early. Every game they've scored within the first twelve minutes. Um, and if they continue doing that against the Netherlands, you know, don't sit on the lead. Continue to try to to push and and make it a two goal, a three goal advantage, and and not put yourself in a situation where late in the game you're sort of hanging on for dear life. Um, which is a little bit how I felt uh, the last couple of games. Credit to England and France for for doing that, but I also think some of that's within the U.S.'s control. Um, speaking of. Uh, one, two, and three goal leads. What's your score prediction here? Yeah, I've been I've been trying to figure this one out. I right now I'm thinking like three to one because I don't feel like the U.S. is going to go all Thailand and score, rack up the score. Not like I'm saying they're going to score that many goals, but mm-hmm. you know, even if they could win five nothing, I don't think that they're going to do something. They're not. I mean, Jill Ellis would be more inclined to put. F- have five in the back I feel like before mm-hmm. they score that many goals in a, in a World Cup final so I don't know maybe I I have three to one U.S. right now interesting um I will say this I mean the Netherlands are the European champions like I know so <laughs> this is some scrub team here um, <laughs> but um I could I do see this I think being a multi-goal win for the U.S. I think they're going to be 
uh, as pumped and ready to go for this final as they were for the Japan final in 2015. We all know what happened uh, early on in that game. Uh, Carly Lloyd hat trick very early goal from midfield. It was four to one at halftime. Um, and I think the U.S. would obviously love to be in a situation where this game is is won at halftime. But you you also, if you're going to think of the 2015 final, have to remember the 2011 final. And you don't want to leave a, an underdog in the game too long because crazy stuff can happen in a World Cup final. So I don't see that happening just because there's so many veteran players on this U.S. team who have shown once again in this tournament how ruthless they are. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I just don't think you want to let the Netherlands stick around, uh, a long time in this game that will only give them confidence. Um, so you and I both picked the U S before this tournament to win the tournament. Uh, they're in a position to do that. Um, and you had an interesting question we were talking before about, uh, what it would mean in the U.S. if the Americans win this World Cup and whether this, if they do win, would have an even greater impact, greater coverage than it did four years ago. And I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, I just think that given, you know, the political and social climate of our country, if the Americans win, these women are going to come home and just shoot to the top of cultural relevancy. I mean, they're going to be on all, you know, the talk shows, the late night shows and the morning shows. And I think the conversation will actually be less about them winning a fourth World Cup, which obviously is impressive and um, historical in and of itself, but more about, you know, Trump and women's empowerment and obviously their equal pay battle with U.S. soccer that they'll have um, coming up and um, they're going to become even more so than they already are the faces of strong women standing up for what they believe is right no matter who's telling them otherwise and I think um, you know it's kind of funny just this whole World Cup celebrations have kind of been an underlying theme and um, Alex Morgan's uh, sipping the tea with her pinky up against England um, you know, it's it's not a matter of disrespect, as Megan Rapino said. It's the World Cup. Like, what do you expect? It's like you know, when the if a, if a men's a, a male athlete was doing that, it, you know, nobody would bat an eye. But because these are women, it's just they, despite any criticism, they are you know walking the walk, talking the talk. And I think that people have just been extra impressed by that. And I don't think that momentum is going to slow down when they come home I mean in after past World Cups that they've won sometimes you'll see them come home and there's not any merchandise or <laughs> they have to find their own um, you know victory tour and they have they're a little more organized this time um, they have you know uh, licensing deals now and um, you know U.S. women's soccer jersey is Nike's number one seller leading him mm -hmm. to the World Cup final and um, I just think that they are going to have a different role when they come home um, I mean win or lose but especially if they win um, and I think that they have earned the attention and respect of more people and I think that that will just continue um, when they come back I, I certainly see a lot of that happening. I guess my questions would be, um, <laughs> given 
how much the the Trump administration they do have some <laughs> some support uh, out there uh, politically. Is that going to manifest itself in any way in terms of the overall reaction uh, to the U.S. team? There's a lot of people though who like millions and millions of people love this U.S. team, uh, and when you look at the television audiences, even though the the time zones aren't as favorable as they were four years ago, you know, I still think we're probably going to look at an, a television audience of 15 to 25 million. Right. I would, I would mm -hmm. think. Um, so uh, there's going to be a lot of people who are excited about this U S team, if they can win another world cup. I also think from a media coverage standpoint, uh, they started out at a higher, much higher level of media coverage before this tournament than they had in 2015. And, mm -hmm. it was, and it was kind of exhausting for the players when they were in New York. I remember they talked about how they kind of wanted to get out of New York and, and have that pre-tournament camp in London where it could be all about the soccer and there was less media coverage. Um, but I do think this U.S. women's team has uh, – is you know, symbolizes even more different things than it did four years ago. And Megan Rapinoe does and Alex Morgan does. And um, so, you know, if they can win this thing, I, I, I certainly see them basically being rock stars again, uh, maybe even to a new level back in the U.S. Yeah, I'm also going to be curious with, you know, the election coming up, you know, how do they maybe get involved? I don't know. It seems like some of them are politically charged, especially with um, Megan Rapinoe having to literally back up her her some of her actions and saying that she is a patriot. It's like, are you really being asked those kinds of questions and having to answer? But um, I think that, you know, it's just going to be interesting to see what kind of role they decide to take. Uh, when they come home to maybe continue this conversation. Yeah, and where does soccer fit into that? Because obviously right. they're all NWSL players and NWSL is in season. Uh, how much time did they get off uh, to celebrate before they start up with their club teams? Carly Lloyd made a good point here yesterday when I was talking to her with a group of reporters that um, – yeah, you know, they have to come back and basically go into the NWSL season, whereas like you know the French players who won the men's World Cup last year got to come home and celebrate and then go on vacation before they had to join their club teams. Yeah, you know, um, and that's a challenge. It's also I've had players tell me in the past a reason why uh, the World Cup winner has never gone on to win the Olympic gold medal the year after because there's so much attention that you get for winning a World Cup that that does, in their opinion, impact the soccer side a little bit. So, you know, like I've already had talks with inter with people here. Like I, I don't want to write Megan Rapinoe's memoir with her, uh, even though I think it would be an, a terrific book. Like, um, but I know there are people who do want to do that. And there's going to be a lot of interest, I would think, in Megan Rapinoe's memoir, in potentially Alex Morgan's memoir. Um, and a lot of commercial opportunities uh, for these U.S. players. Oh, 100%. I mean, I just think it's an exci it's exciting. Like, this is these are the things that they, they want. I mean, the things that they didn't have even four years ago. It's just, it's like, it's shocking to even think that how much more money these players could have made had they had 
more merchandise in the market after winning the World Cup last time and now that they will. So it's just, you know, it's just it's exciting for I think for all these players to achieve, obviously, um, accomplish their goals, maybe win, you know, another World Cup and just come back to, I guess, more more of an appreciation, if that's the right way to put it. Yeah, and, and also, too, I think it's worth pointing out uh, the big news here. Some of the big news, at least for the NWSL, is they announced oh, yeah. that ESPN is going to show 14 games in the remainder of this season on national television, which is really good news for a league that had lost its national TV deal at the start of the season. Um, and so that's really good. Uh, we're starting to hear the word, word of maybe some uh, longer-term sponsors uh, signing on with NWSL. So, um, you know, that's really important considering uh, the NWSL has provided more players than any other league in the world to this World Cup, and obviously not just on the U.S. team, uh, but all 23 players on the U.S. team are, are currently in the NWSL. And, you know, as Europe invests more in the sport uh, at the club level, um, the NWSL needs to continue being... Uh, needs to continue competing to have the best players from the U.S. and other countries. Yeah, I mean, we were talking about just how you have to come back and immediately start play- picking up and playing in the WSL. After Australia lost, Sam Kerr came back and scored a couple goals for the Chicago Red Stars. It's like somebody made a point on Twitter the other day. It's like there's so much um, people love watching the World Cup and the Olympics every four years, and they don't pay the same amount of attention to the NWSL it's like well these same players are are playing so I think it's really cool that you know ESPN struck a deal with them and we'll see how um you know if people if people are as interested as they um as they should be (laughs) yeah uh the world cup final world cup 2019 is Sunday uh kickoff at 11 a.m eastern on big fox and telemundo uh, coverage, I think, on Fox starts at 10 a.m. Eastern. Lakin, looking forward to the final. We'll talk one more time after that one. Yeah, I can't wait to watch. Thanks for listening to the Planet Football Podcast. I'd like to thank Lakin Littman as well as producer Brandon Nix and everyone at Sports Illustrated who supports this podcast. Remember to check out Throwback, my podcast series on the origins of the U.S. Women's National Team and the FIFA Women's World Cup. See you next time.